I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Deeper Down the Rabbit Hole. Now live. Tuesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. On the Para-X Radio Network. Deeper down the rabbit hole, and you're here with Andrea Vinicius and my excellent, most excellent co-host, Jason Cole. How you doing, Jason? Doing great. So as always, we, as we've been doing the last, I don't know how many weeks in a row, because it's only two weeks away, where are we going in July? Starwood 2012. That's going to be at the Wisteria Campground. In Pomeroy, Ohio, July 10th through the 16th. And for additional information and to sign up and come out and see us, you need to go to rosencomet.com. R-O-S-E-N-C-O-M-E-T.com. Uh, we'll be out there a good portion, maybe not all, but a few members of the Quantum Life Science Institute, which is sponsors the show and the reason we do the show. We'll be out there. Uh, we'll be doing... Crazy magic in our 20-foot uh, octagon tent. Um, and, I don't know, what else you want to say, Jason? Besides the, there's tons of cool bands. There's a pub on site. I mean, Oh, there's a pub on site. There's a really cool uh, cafe on site. Yeah, with yeah. Ice coffee really, in the middle Oh, of man, del- delicious homemade food. And it's cheap. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, and Andrea's going to teach you a thing or three about fairies. <laughs> yeah, that's the last thing. Thanks, you know. Uh, and we'll do a ritual. Not fluffy fairies. So if you want to kind of hang out and do what we do when we see crazy stuff in the forest and scare people, that's what I'm going to teach. So there you go. Tonight, I am really I'm, I'm buzzed about it because... Uh, we have the publishers of Scarlet Imprint. I mean, the creators of Scarlet Imprint, which is one of the... I can't say how cool I think they are. They're awesome. Um, what they do, Scarlet Imprint started a movement in occultism. Really, a movement that uh, anyone who's a bibliophile can appreciate. And, and writers like myself... Totally, this idea is awesome. They took uh, books, new occult books, 
quality material, high quality material, and presented it in a high quality way. In in the most common mass produced books, this is a pretty radical idea. So they have books that have vellum, you know, and high grade papers and goat skin covers and produce new occult books. They're new they're not reprints of grimoires trying to recreate grimoires. The new occult books produced in the old style of grimoires uh, that are truly art pieces in themselves. Beautiful to behold uh, when you pick them up. There's just something that screams magic about the books. And so tonight, without further ado, saying how just unbelievably cool I think uh, all the books they have are and all the things that they're doing. We want to welcome Peter Gray and El Kistis de Mac to the show tonight, uh, the founders of Scarlet Imprint. Hello. Hi, Andre. Hi, Jason. Hi. Hey. So we make you guys sound uh, cool enough there because we that's, believe that's, it. That's pretty good. Well, I don't know how we're going to live up to this. <laughs> well, We'll try. I'll tell people, you know, the first time I came across one of your books, because I couldn't exactly afford the leather copy, but I knew someone who did. I bought the mass production quality, and even that has paper, high-quality paper that crackles when you do it. The high-quality one I had smelt like leather. It had the gold trim, everything, just like as if you were reading a 16th century book. Um, <laughs> some ancient grim war and uh in a way how can you not think that that's magical i mean all the senses involved with just reading the book it, it was it was it's awesome it was awesome thanks andre i mean that that's that's the impact that we want the books to have on people um we very much see the book as a as a magical object and the way that we work with the books as a talismanic publisher it's the same way that any magician would work with any magical object. So, regardless of the edition, whether it's whether it's a paperback edition or whether it's one of the one of the fine bound editions, we put the same level of detail and attention to it, so that the spirit of the book actually comes through, and there's there's a transmission with the text itself. And that raises some questions because I'm sure when we start talking about the spirit of book and transmissions and really kind of moving away from mass-produced culture to uh, what you guys are doing, which is very, very niche and very, very high quality. Uh, I'm sure some people will be like, well, why don't you just produce, you know, like being another Llewellyn-like publisher, even though I'm published by Llewellyn, so I can't complain too much, right? <laughs> or just have a paperback copy that could get in the hands of more people instead of this type of um, grimoric well, time. I think as you say um, the book in itself you know, is required to be a magical object and all magicians through all time in producing any of their any of their ritual um, any of their ritual tools will have, will have applied the, the basic maxim of, of not haggling over a, the price of a black hen's egg so when you're when you're engaged in the art of magic then 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 you certainly don't ask about what the limits are uh, you do everything with the the best of your intent and you do that to create objects of beauty 
And in the in the mass-produced world that we find ourselves in, we very much stand against the ideas of the, the rampant consumer culture. So by producing books in the way that we do, we're producing objects that will last probably longer than our civilization will. But at the same time, we we don't want to find ourselves in, in some elitist trap where we're only making books for the very few people who can afford the fine editions. We want to make sure that the same information is available to all students at all levels. And that's the reason that we make all of our books available either in a you know, either in an affordable paperback or in a digital edition. Um, and one of the reasons behind this is also that, that that's been the history of magical publishing. Uh, the reason that our paperback and digital books um, are produced under the heading of Bibliothèque Rouge is that we're referencing the Bibliothèque Blur period of the grimoire printing when grimoires were printed and mass-produced in Europe in, in very, very cheap pulp editions, and there was a huge explosion in the occult revival based upon that. So we're happy for people to buy and get hold of the material in, in, in whichever form that they feel is most appropriate for them, whether that's, whether that's paperback or whether that's a, or whether it's a leather fine-bound edition. Um, we, we simply want people out there to have access to the material and be, and be progressing themselves in their magic. I agree. <laughs> so, what started you down this path? What made you say that you wanted to publish yourselves? Um, it was an accident, really. It was we needed to publish Peter's Red Goddess, and it had to be done in a particular way because of promises that he had made to Babylon. So, it came down to us doing it with absolutely no experience, but. Uh, ideas about what we wanted the book to be so it was really just uh, well kind of going down the rabbit hole ourselves <laughs> with this yeah it was very some, very much something that 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 that, uh, that we fell into um, my background was in um, in magazine journalism um, and working as a writer so I was very familiar with with the publication process and with with editing and all of these aspects, but we had we had no experience of producing books. So we very much we very much appeared on the scene um, with a with a DIY punk ethos, um, which which you know <laughs> pe pe people can kind of lose lose track of that when they when they see the you know the the more expensive books. But we certainly we certainly uh, one of the new publishers coming out of the, the digital age, which has enabled people to to really gain control of the publishing industry and be able to be able to produce the books that that larger publishers perhaps would shy away from. Um, it is and, a very punk ethos and very much doing it for yourself. The, it's about freedom of speech as well. It is not having some. It's a, having a very high material so that. Uh, Please <laughs> um, I, I also think that mm. the, we're, we're really excited to see what's happened in the number of other small publishers that mm. have that have appeared um, since, since we came on the scene, which is you know partly an impact of our, our work getting out there and just partly the zeitgeist, the mm. fact that the digital printing technology has enabled this, this new revolution and that a whole new generation of magicians are coming forward with their work. And we're in a position now where rather than simply reprinting the, the established works of a, of a few a few supposed masters of the past, um, modern magicians are now able to share their experiences and, and really put forward the, the, the results of the work that they've been undergoing. 
So it's it's a very exciting time. It's a really exciting time to be a publisher. It's a really exciting time to be a magician. One of the things that, I mean, I, I have the Red Goddess, I can admit it. It's, it's awesome. It's a great book. We'll probably have a whole show just on that. Um, but all the books are really high-quality material. Um, and a lot of it, I, I suspect that it was on purpose that the high-quality material in the books, uh, you know, occultists who have dealt with the Wallen or Wiser or Red Whale, they kind of get into borders and stuff like that, like myself, you know, probably yeah. secretly wish that there was a leather-bound copy of a book, just like you guys do. Um, because it's kind of like, it's that sense of your own creation being magical that mass production seems to take away. Yeah, mass, mass production has, has destroyed the value of the book. So even though even though our books can seem expensive, um, when when you look at when you look at a modern um, a modern bog produced uh, you know paper paper stock book probably printed in China um, where the environmental standards are, 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 are absolutely disgusting and the effect of, on on the environment of the books that you're buying is 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 hugely damaging. Um, the the book in itself has become a a meaningless object, which is why um, mainstream pub mainstream publishers and mainstream bookshops are in complete disarray because they've been they've been slaughtered, discounted by by you know the monstrousness of of Amazon yeah. and yeah. all the other large book dealers who have sucked the life out of the book and sucked sucked the excitement out of reading for people and and uh, and now furiously trying to replace it with a format which they can control. And it also affects the content because they are trying to appeal to a, a maximum of people, whereas what we do is really quite specific. There's only a few people in the world that are really going to get this kind of material at this level as well. So, I mean, it's, it's niche because there are very few people who are working in this field anyway. I mean, magicians are very small number. You're a small group. <laughs> I, I said that on Facebook just the other day, that I think in worldwide, and there was some discussion, argument about it, but I said I bet the number of real magicians, and the, the number of people who buy occult materials is less than 40,000. Some people disagreed with me on that, um, but I, I kind of definitely like Western magic when you do exclude stuff like um, Tibetan Tibetans and yeah. other stuff. I said it's less than 40,000 probably across the world. And it is really a niche market. And um, Yeah, I, th I think the internet can really distort people's idea of precisely how many people out there are engaged in, in serious magical work. And, and certainly, certainly serious magical work in the Western magical tradition is a very, very small number of people. Um, to, to give an example, if you look at the numbers of of people who are in in the you know the the more prominently well-known magical orders, um, Typhonian OTO, um, probably for for the last decade has only numbered you know you know less than thirty people. Um, however, if you see the works of Kenneth Grant in everybody's bookshelf, you would assume that there was a there was a large number of Typhonian adepts out there, and that simply isn't the case. And the same could be said for for certainly the membership figures of. Um, of the OTO or or any of the other groups, um, including um, including the IOT or, no, or or any of the other small numbers. I, I would being a member of the IOT just say you're probably absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Peter Carroll once said that 99% of all occult books sit on the shelf. Yeah. Um, and that's probably the truth. I mean, we hate, authors hate hearing that, but it's, it is probably close to the truth. Yeah, uh, I think I think we're we're very lucky in a position that, that we're able to write and publish books that we're aiming squarely at our peer group. So when when we're when we, when we make a decision about what we're doing, it's it's purely based on 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 our on our artistic and our magical ideas rather than on any commercial mm-hmm. concerns whatsoever, um, because we know that the impact that one book can have on one magician. Um, is far more powerful than than any numbers of thousands of of Wicker One Hundred and One trash being produced for the for the the mole reading public. King Rich. <laughs> well, it's usually Jason who says comments like that. Well, you know, J- Jason tries to be nice nowadays, but but thank you, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, is I mean, you've you've had a, a few authors and. Uh, that, that really, you know, I, I mean, I have the first version of the uh, David Beth's book, you know, uh, you have the Red, you know, the Babylon book, the Red Goddess, and there's so many others, the Paolo book, which actually, you know, being an initiated voodoo priest, I know something about what he's talking about, not exactly, but there's a lot of it that I was like, holy, he put that in a book? <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, and so, so yeah, I think the peer group. Uh, yeah, um, I think the next book on on Palameombe may well prove to be as important as Maduren's Divine Horseman in terms of the the the, the impact that it will have, um, especially when you when you look at the, the the quality of the material that he's been able to present um, both on both on Palameombe and also on Kimbanda. These are traditions which are, are also very much under threat. From the modern world, yes. and it's quite easy to to lose these traditions and to lose this information. So, so the books, in this sense, very much contain a you know function as an arc. And we've been we've been delighted by the fact that the the community of Poleros have who are who are notoriously difficult to please have reacted extremely well to Nick's work, um, and and the message really continues to get out and and be read by people in the community who are working as initiates of Palameombe rather than simply by by white boy thrill seekers. Well, well oh. oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let me just throw out there that uh, if everyone can get away from their festivities, Nick will be on the show July 3rd, and we're really looking forward to that. Great. Cool. Uh, I think that's, that's... I mean, I would throw in there, too, that... Uh, there's probably a lot of Poleros that need his resource. Uh, they get initiated and they're kind of like, they don't get any training by their uh, padrinos. That's, uh, especially in America, this is a huge problem with African traditional religions is that, you know, people pay for initiations, they get the initiations and then they aren't given anything. Yeah. And uh, it kind of serves a dual purpose, a dual kind of, revolutionary purpose first to keep people in houses honest you know mm. yes. here's yeah. the de- here's the details of what should go on or at least if you're initiated initiated and your padrino or madrino won't give you anything you know you could get it and second it acts as a conservation as yeah. you're saying yeah yeah 
Yeah, I think I think he's walked a very careful line in that book in terms of what he's able to disclose and what he's able to infer, um, and I think people can gain from the book based on their their level of initiation into 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 Palo. So is it the careful line of not crossing the initiatory secrets, but at the same yeah. time putting good information out there? Yeah, very much so. You know, the truth is about a lot of the African traditional religions, uh, Jason, is that there's only a few things that are secret. There, there really is. Like, as as a Haitian-initiated uh, voodoo priest, there's only a couple things that are really secret. The rest of the stuff people just don't bother talking about. It's not that it couldn't be released, they just don't want to tell people. Hmm. Well, sure. I mean, there's there's a strategic edge there, right? You seem more important if you have information that you don't share, right? Yeah, that's that's why just I, across the board. That's why I was doubly impressed that uh, you both picked up that book and have run with it, and because it kind of takes that, it, it, it's kind of very much a rebellious act in a cool way. So, yeah, we we were we were delighted when it came to us with that. It's um. It's a very important book, and it it does it does everything that we want to do with Scarlet in that it presents serious practitioner material, um, and it's it's both both academically rigorous, and it's it's practically it's it's practically strong. You know, it's it's an actual magician's book rather than an academic's book. Because one one of the things that we we work very hard with with the books is to make sure that they're that they're working books that they're the kind of book that you can have open on your altar that the that that all of the the seals are drawn in a specific way with magical intent that the the spells um are all are all set um typographically so that they're 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 in one place you know i've seen i've seen publishers who who split god names across pages and things which which quite honestly richly and magically is a is a, is a real mistake. Well, that is really impressive. I mean, that's the kind of attention to detail that I, as a working magician, want for my books. Yeah. 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 We, we, we intend all the books to be working books. Yeah. The magic tech is working. There you go. The magic tech is working. That's, that's also kind of interesting because we keep talking about. And, and it's, it's an underlying Under philosophy that is coming across of books, books as and spirits in themselves, as a, a sort of talisman. I mean, yeah. it's no secret that to anyone who works with me that when I wrote Hands on Chaos Magic, there's an egregore behind it, and there's mm -hmm. a certain way to contact it that I've only told a few people. Like, and how to how to actually contact the egregore of the book, and yeah. I intentionally have an egregore of the book. Um, but it's kind of interesting um, that it seems like a lot of the books you guys publish, you're trying exactly the same thing. Yeah, I mean, we we have a specific moment in the in the process when when we see the book, when we know um, yeah. we know what the spirit of the book is, and that that flows through everything. If you want to talk it about is. the design, yeah, it kind of presents itself. The book appears <laughs> in all the, in all its manifestations, whether paperback or the standard hardback or the fine edition. It's it really um, it starts talking to you and makes the decisions for you so <laughs> um, yeah there, there's very deliberate the way things appear 
did you ever, uh, when you were producing and designing some of the books, start to feel like you were uh, getting totally sucked so far into the book that you couldn't stop uh, until you uh, actually finished the book? Yeah, we work her. Uh, it's obsessive when it happens yeah. because the spirit of the book grabs you and it doesn't let you go. So you end up waking up at like five o'clock and starting work and then working until midnight. <laughs> you know, you can't drag yourself away even to eat. It's sort of, they get very demanding. It's like spirits. Mm -hmm. You have to make kind of, you have to put rules down sometimes and say, no, <laughs> I'm a human being. I can't do this. <laughs> but yeah, it gets... It's very intense. And then when the books arrive, it's, um, I mean, they all have a very different feel when we had, when we had Diabolical arrive. Um, it's like, it's like living with a nuclear reactor when you've got that many books stacked up, ready to go. Um, mm. the, just, just the force of the book in itself is, is, is pretty dramatic. Um, mm. uh, all the way through the process. Um, one of, one of, one of the funniest, uh, ones was when we were working with, we were working with Howlings, um, and we've been doing a lot of work with um, with magical incenses. And we used a, a, a specific a specific goetic blend incense using um, using quite a few ingredients like datura. Um, and by the time we'd posted all of the books, as we walked to the post office, we were seeing more spirits than we were seeing actual people on the way, which got a little bit hectic. Oh, you, you've got to tell this story. <laughs> I mean, that, you, you lead him with that. That story's got to be told now. I mean, because that's like uh, a magical experience wrapped up in in a ghost yeah. story at the same time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We we had um we had a lot of pressure um to behind be behind that book from from the beginning. Um, we started working with the Goetia. We started working with the Goetia when they um when when they they began to turn up. Um, with with our big in folks um, in in our uh, in our flat at the time, um, and we were we were rather were rather overrun by spirits, um, and that resulted that resulted in in howlings and and our ongoing work with this particular group of spirits, and it continued through the production process and and through the um, through the final the final literally posting and delivery of the books yeah. out to people um but yeah the, the i mean this is this is another thing that that people who who aren't used to working with or, or having genuine encounter with spirits don't understand is that you don't always have to um invoke the spirits for the spirits to turn up um you know in the same way i'm sure many magicians will have the experience that when they're preparing for a ritual um especially if you're doing a high ceremonial piece that by the time you've laid out the circle or begun to to collect the uh, collect the objects that you require for the ritual, the spirit's already there. Oh, we've had that oh, experience oh many I times. I can't even say how many times that happens. Yep. Where I'm staring at the mirror and I go, "We're not ready yet. Come back." Yeah. <laughs> now, see that that's a dangerous line for us to cross because now we're we're breaking people's safety barrier. You know, we're telling them that. It's, they're not completely in control, right? What are you talking well, about, Jason? Like we do voodoo work. They're they're all around all the time. We even come down the stairs to getting thinking we're going to do something. They're like, you know, right there. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I think if you need a safety barrier, then you shouldn't be doing magic. Yeah. I'm going to put that as a Facebook quote right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nice safe word. <laughs> yeah, nice safe word. So, so, so do tell. You're on your way to send the send the books off to print, and you're seeing the spirits out in the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're working with the Garisha, oh, oh the Garisha of Solomon. This uh, spirit list that's in that, like the Ars Garisha, and they they just manifest of their own will. <laughs> <laughs> of their own free will. But yeah, that they, they um it, it reached the stage where they they were they were more substantial than the people, um, which was which was intriguing. <laughs> which is intriguing, but that that lasted a. Uh, that only lasted a day or so. Right, right. It was the climax, climax. of... That was a climax of an awful lot of intensive work. Um, yeah. Yeah, we tend, we tend to... Uh, the ritual had got mixed up with the creation yeah. and the sending of the book, so... The whole process of um, even initiating the book to the point where you send, you consecrate a number, send a book, it was all part of the ritual and, um, of course, leads on to further rituals and further books further contacts and the other thing is when we when we finish one project um all of our books have a very specific intent um that they're designed to create an active change in the world um and as all as all magicians know you're you're never always completely sure of of what that change will be so when we when we send something out we're also also waiting for the wait waiting for the shockwave of, uh, of when it returns and comes back to us, so um, so very often we find that we we get we get quite an energetic rebound when we finish working on a piece, mm -hmm. and, and when it starts to impact on other people and change them. Yeah. Uh, that was, even though I didn't have a leather round book, certainly my experience having published one book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It it it, it alters things. It alters things, and, and in. Certainly, in a way, the digital doesn't. I met a significant other, and what else? Got a family because of my book, so yeah, it <laughs> yeah. definitely altered things a lot. Mm. Yeah. So you know, dare I ask, is that always a positive experience, or have you seen any kind of negative consequence to that kind of rebound? We're not dualistic that way. Um. <laughs> <laughs> ah. We're we're really happy to it's uh, energy. use it's, it's all energy, you know. Yeah. It's uh, you know, it's the tantra power, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Okay. Everything's Fair. an opportunity. Fair Every, enough. Everything can be used, mm. um, and and certainly certainly the the, the energies that that we work with, uh, you know, like Babylon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's yeah. you know, it's strong meat and unmixed wine. No safety net. No. <laughs> no. No. There's there's no time for safety net. What was the hardest book that? Uh, I mean, Howling sounds like it was one of the absolute coolest experiences you had. But what was a hard book for you guys to kind of get through? Um, they all they all tend to have their times. Um, the, the Crossroads was difficult. This one. Yeah. The one we're just. Um, bringing to print now that's been i don't know how many like 18 months to two years in the mm. bringing together of it it's been incredibly difficult just uh rounding up this <laughs> this collection we sometimes find that um magically there's a reason why a book has been delayed some some books um 
some books will make you wait. Um, so we, we knew that working with Pombagira that she was going to be um, a oh, bit of a diva. Yeah, so <laughs> so obviously, Her obviously would be a bit of a diva. Yeah. So she, she made her appearance when she wanted when to. When she wanted precisely. to. Precisely. Yeah. So she that caused means... our printers a lot of trouble as well. <laughs> <laughs> they had to pulp the whole first print run because of an error that they made. But it was just you know she wanted to come out at a certain time in a certain way. So <laughs> she she doesn't really care about uh, the printer. <laughs> it's about her. <laughs> yeah, it's um it's learning when to push and when not to push. It's you know it's the same as when you're doing ritual. There are, there are there are times when you'll you'll go out to the woods and you'll know that um, that this is not the right night to be in the woods. Um, and I, I've had this experience with magicians where we've we spent a long time planning and working on a ritual, and we've arrived somewhere and realised that that in fact we're not welcome or it's the wrong time. Um, and it's good to be able to recognise those signs and be able to walk away from things as well. Mm. Yeah, we've had that happen. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Definitely, Definitely had that happen as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's always yeah, good to have other people confirm that, though, so you know that we're not just nuts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah we're all nuts. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we are the crazy people in the woods. <laughs> well, we're the same ones in the woods, and everyone else yeah. is the crazy people. Well, I tell you what, when you go out to the woods and the trees start moving around on you and there's no wind, nah, it's usually saying something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, where do you guys, um, because you guys were kind of, as far as I'm concerned, the founders of this movement, and there's, a, a, as you said, there's a few companies that are, are, are really almost directly following your, what you guys were doing. Yeah. Like fi uh, four or five years ago. They really are low print run, high quality books. <laughs> uh, and you guys have now kind of, also expanded past that um, but this movement of the book as talisman mm -hmm. and as a magical yeah. operation uh, as a revolutionary rebellious act against mass uh, media production yeah where do you see it going in the next few years I think we'll I think probably for the next five years we'll have more more small publishers um, appearing um but also disappearing because i think they're gonna very quickly realize that the number of practicing magicians out there um is is probably rather smaller than than they at first realized and also the degree of the, the sheer amount of work involved in publishing is 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 a lot more than most people can can certainly cope with um it's tough it's tough it's not an easy thing to do but we're really supportive of 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 everyone who who is coming up and coming through and we've had a lot of a lot of long yeah. conversations with emails by email with with other mm. other publishers who are just starting up and trying to get their feet and you know we've we've been happy to point people in in the right direction because we're really excited to see see anyone engaged in a creative magical project yeah, yeah. um because it's not about the money it's about the it's about the communication of ideas it's about the you know the the transforming of the magical culture from 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 people sitting down dreaming of what might happen to actually dreaming and then doing and then making those things manifest mm -hmm. and and the more the more the more magicians the more more publishers that are out there that are sharing their results the better 
Um, but equally, I mean, we've got we've got friends in 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 in, in larger publishers as well, um, and and everything has its place. And there's also a place for just getting on with your work and not doing anything. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. Yeah, there's also a place for people. I mean, there's a lot of work important to do without speaking about it at all or, or sharing it necessarily until the time is right. And I think this is this is place for everything. <laughs> mm. I mean, well, a lot of what we do is not. We are not communicating yet at all. Yeah, it is just uh, everything in its time. Yeah. Well, certainly, I think any serious magician who's putting work out there has things on the back burner that they're working on privately that they're not sharing. Yeah. yeah. But, but what do you think about this? With all the blogging going on, more authors coming about, putting their information out there, doing more public work, are we increasing the numbers of active magicians? I would imagine that the number of active magicians um, globally will always stay fairly constant at a low number. Um, I think you know there's a lot of there's a lot of smoke and not a lot of fire with 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 a lot of it. It's quite easy to to set yourself up with a spooky looking online avatar and sit on Facebook posting pictures of your altar every day, um, which you've done specifically for Facebook. That doesn't prove that you're engaged in any magical work at all. I have a great deal of respect for the, the quieter people who are deliberately not showing, um, which is something that, that our culture is, is increasingly um, neglecting. And certainly, certainly if we weren't engaged with Scarlet, um, we, would have, we would have no online presence at all. You know, I said, yeah, that, I said that a few weeks ago, too, that if I had not published a book, I would not have a Facebook page. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I was doing magic for 12 years before I published the book. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, I think that's a really important point, Andrea. I think there is no rush to publication. Um, people really need to spend time in magic before before they're in a position to begin to talk meaningfully about their experiences. In the same way with with if you're doing a serious traditional martial art then it'll take you 10 years of of basic practice to become a black belt and when you reach black belt you understand that that's merely the start of the process it's not that you've achieved some exalted level but if you if you decide that you've been you've been reading books on magic for 3 years you claim that because you first read your book in magic when you were 16 that you've been practicing you know continuously forever it's meaningless is utterly meaningless and to begin to claim titles and grades and invent orders with you know with, with with your imaginary friends is is not going to help you make progress as a magician can you repeat that because i, I <laughs> bow down and uh, start kneeling and going we're not worthy let me let me just say that uh peter's also trained in the art of ninjutsu, so if you don't like his harsh words, he will find you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I think I think that's a, a point people don't realize. I mean, we're in a, I mean, I know that. We're in a culture that um, you know, everyone wants some sort of, wants attention. Yeah. You know, and that's not a bad thing, yeah. but it's become 
getting attention is the end goal as opposed to understanding that that attention to get that attention you should have some atten- intention for what you're doing with the attention essentially mm. you should have mm. some purpose for bothering to get attention it's but one of the, the problems with the situation online is that I mean it's very good that you have blogs where people can begin discourse and dialogue with each other but sometimes the the talking gets broken up into such small sound bites that there's not really any real exchange going on or development of ideas especially also in like reviewing so material comes out but you don't find so much now that there's um, a culture where people review work and seriously consider it there's so much churn of of content and information that um, people almost trade the the information for a, a substance as a substance in itself as a, as a as important but it's not that they've really gone into it and i think that there are like possibility for great positive uh, from the blogging but also for people just to be quite superficial about the material that they're coming into contact with so i think it's down to individuals to to make the best of the situation that we have because there's a lot of potential with the the online now to for example make contact across the whole world we have we can really come together as a community it doesn't need to be so separate we are not um you know just going to our local pub moot and knowing five people we know everybody if we want to who's online but it's also about taking the time to really engage properly with people and with their work as well i i well, think, I, I think, I, I that's, think that's, that's that could that be could said truer i mean you're you're absolutely, absolutely right, right. With the internet, the internet, we're having a we're conversation, having conversation across, across thousands, thousands of miles. miles. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I, I could I, probably, I could probably well, I might well, I be might able to have met you in person, in, person in, 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 in the UK, the UK. Mm. But, but it might not be might able not to happen. happen. Yeah. Uh, but on the flip, on the side, flip of that, side of that, you know, you, you also, also have, have the first the thing first that you guys were talking about where you have people who don't have much experience now uh, filling the info waves as it were with in some cases misinformation or stuff they haven't even tried yeah 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 I, I think that there's a stage when you're when you're beginning as a student when you're you're going through a lot of material trying to find what it is exactly that you should be doing uh, and I think that's healthy you know I, I think everyone everyone goes through a stage where where they're where, where they're experimenting where they're looking at stuff where they have small successes and perhaps perhaps inflate them or, or get into trouble, um, and then there comes a time when when you need to back off and consolidate and and work in depth with the material you have. I mean, a, a great example of that um, is is Jake Stratton Kent, who spent like, was it yes. now thirty years more than thirty, more than 30 years. years working with working um, with the Grimoirean Verum, working working with the True Grimoire, and it's only by engaging in that depth of study that depth of communion and building that relationship with spirit that you actually start to 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 really understand what magic's about um but the temptation is with a with with the exchange of 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 information for kudos online that that the depth of study doesn't occur well and the thing is with the cults of personality and all the you know, just random people putting out random information. I think if the occult community as a whole would put as much energy 
into getting together and practicing techniques as they do having internet flame wars, we could really advance magic as as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, yeah certainly, Jason. I mean, one of the things that we do is that we're not, we're, we're deliberately not allied or part of any order, group, organization, um, or 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 particular agenda so that that enables us to to talk across practitioners and say look we're all we're all working in similar areas and we can come together as equals and do these things and we do that by by publishing for example when we when we put out a compilation um book with a variety of assets from a variety of perspectives we are not saying that we agree with every writer in the collection we're not saying that every perspective in that is something that we necessarily hold in our own magical practice. What we're doing is we're putting forward the choice for people to see what, what modern magicians are doing and in, enable them to form their own collaborations based on that. Heresy. <laughs> Heresy of diversity. <laughs> All paths are true, huh? Mm. Mm. Or, or, as we say in some circles, there may not be an ultimate truth at all. Mm. Yeah. 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 Um, but, but that's a really that's tough point because a lot of people get trapped tra into um, drinking the Kool Aid, as it were. Yeah. Mm. Uh, even good magicians. Yeah, I, th I think it's something that that we all that we all suffer from, which is why basic practices like the magical diary can help. Well, I think it also comes down to when you take a part of any serious practice and it works for you and you're going deeper into it. Yeah, it's, it's a human tendency to say, this is the truth. Yeah. And it was the chaos magic mentality of saying, okay, that's the truth for you, but someone else's truth can be just as effective. Yeah. Try to break those chains. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think chaos magic... Um, did, did a great service when it when it appeared. I'm I'm sure that the situation and the understanding of what chaos magic is between England and the UK probably varies. Um, here, it seems to be a really positive um, reaction to how how stuffy the traditional orders were 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 seen to be. It was a real it was a real fresh air kind of break from the the Victorian occultism and the and the and the don't tread on the grass. And it, it came very much out of out of again this punk ethos that also birthed groups like the Temple of Psychic Youth, um, and was part of a, a very necessary pushback from the 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 parlor game occultism, which was beginning to dominate and stifle the place. There, I mean, yeah, in America, it might have been taken too far in the opposite direction, where there's not serious study mm. or, or people not really investing the time. I mean, it's kind of like uh, when I read uh, Scarlet Imprint's books in general, I, I know that I might not agree with everything like you were saying, mm. but I at least know they were, the people believe it and they've tried it. Mm. Yeah. Um, it, it, which is a big difference than when I read a lot of occult books where I'm like, there's no possible way you, you <laughs> there's no possible way you could have tried what you're writing. Yeah. Uh, I've never said that about the Scarlet Imprint books, which is a great compliment, actually. Uh, mm. That in all the cases, I could tell the people tried it. I might have come up with a different conclusion um, 
based on my experiences, but I could see where they came up with theirs. Yeah. In practice, like as in, that's difference, I think. Mm. Um, that a lot of, that I see from a lot of the books that, of course, when you start with the book as a talisman, it's much easier to do that than when you start with the book as a uh, one of X number of books that you have to publish every year. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah we we certainly don't have a commercial model. <laughs> we're we're motivated by uh, by rather different ends. So, what's your favorite story that you've ever gotten from somebody? picked up one of your books. Um, you? Well, the Red Goddess tends to cause some quite um, exciting train wrecks in people's lives. Um, she does my, often. Well, <laughs> we, we got a, a, a wonderful letter um, from uh, from a, a correspondent who who wrote and said, um, he said, I've got the Red Goddess, I've read it, I've crashed my car, I've my house has burned down. My relationship's broken up. Um, it's brilliant, and uh, so so we write back and said, "Well, she obviously liked you." Um, so when we send the when we send the books out, um, they they can change people's lives in quite radical ways, um, depending on on the spirit of the book. But we've we've seen a lot of people embark on some some very interesting journeys as a result. The Red Goddess has caused a lot of. Transformations. Transformations. Yeah. yeah. So I guess so on the flip side of that, have you ever gotten the letter that says this is the most evil book I've ever read? Um, we've had we've had people needing needing healing after we've spoken at, uh, at pagan events, um, <laughs> which is quite quite funny. Um, but we don't we don't we don't receive uh, we don't receive particular hate mail. What one interesting thing is that. We found that a lot of a lot of Christians have picked up um, crossed keys because of the uh, because of the Enchiridion and the the Sar magic angle. So we, we found that that quite quite interesting to discover that uh, a whole Catholics subset of uh, a whole subset of Catholics and Catholic magicians were happily buying our books. All right. Oh, right. Now are you getting are you getting positive feedback from those people? They don't write to us. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you don't understand Catholics, Jason. They don't talk about that sort of stuff. Mm. Not openly. They probably do it, but they won't talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just curious how you're getting the, the demographical feedback if it's not from direct correspondence. Uh, little birds tell us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I understand. <laughs> <laughs> we we get a lot of information brought to us. So if you so could have, if you could write the next few books that you guys are coming out with, you know, you know, well, how would you like to see them change the the culture the, of occultism? I think I think at the crossroads is going to have quite a marked impact because. It's opening up the dialogue between the African traditional religions you know, and the diaspora religions and the Western tradition, and it's demonstrating that there's been a, a great deal of interplay and exchange between these already taking, already taking place between these practitioners and these cultures over time, 
and I think there's a real there's a real sense with the work that it's the it's the beginning of a birth of a real new world magic where there's a fusion between these traditions um, and it and it is something that flows both ways rather than rather than us seeing the West as being threadbare and us needing to go cap in hand to other traditions it's saying that no in fact the exchange that we've been having with these cultures has been going on for a long time and we can learn a lot from them um, particularly particularly as Jake Stratton Kent stresses in terms of um, in terms of ancestors um, and understanding the role of the dead um, but also in terms of the fact that many of these cultures still have a living practical operative magical culture uh, and the they have the, community both both community and an operative culture are critical i mean that there's something that we we've um we spoke with uh, stephen skinner about when we when we saw him last um because stephen um who's uh, i think is probably one of the most important magicians um of of our age um stephen moved to um to the far east to live specifically within an operative magical culture because as a magician that makes a huge impact on the way that your own magic works in the same way that if you're if you're working within a community where where magic is part of that community then it takes on a real significance rather than being rather than being a game of pop psychology that you play hmm. so we we that think it's pretty hard to overcome that yeah, it's not, it's not impossible, but it is definitely easy to fall back on pop psychology uh, when you're in a culture that says continuously that what you do is a lie. Yeah, yeah. When you're told consistently that what you do has has no, no has no reality and has no function, you're engaged in a constant battle against disenchantment. Or you have these things like where witches claim that they are not dangerous, actually, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, yeah. A, you, you defang yourself, you take your claws out, but actually you should have more respect for for your work, whereas a witch or magician, you know, we should have... <laughs> we are dangerous. <laughs> I think it's about maybe reality of it. That it well, is both well. good and bad. Mm. I'm, I'm going to stick my neck out tonight. I'm going to say that I think the majority of people that say witches aren't dangerous aren't active practicing magicians. Mm. Yeah. 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 It's just that we live in a culture that denies the reality, I think, of this. I mean, the, the, the wider culture, not the magic community. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, think, I think in part, the magic community also denies what they could do as well. Yeah. It's not it's the greatest, not greatest um, uh, vehement, vehement. Yeah. But in the back in the of back most people's minds, minds, they don't want they to don't really believe, believe, even if they're reading the books, yeah. they can do it. Yeah. I yeah. think there is an element of that. But I think also because the, the magician um, in, in much of the West is no longer called upon to actually perform services for members of the community in, in, in any real sense. Whereas people we know who are active within the, um, you know, within hoodoo or root work are used to having clients coming to see them and they're doing magic to, 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 for results. to get results, for things to occur. Mm. Um, 
And I think that the Western magician very often isn't engaged in that process. That's certainly true. I mean, I, um, as a voodoo priest and, uh, and somebody who does a lot of root work, I always have to get results for people. I can't let it slide on just pop psychology. That's, that's not the expectation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think there's a there's a need for, for magic and witchcraft to re-engage with the community to actually prove that it has the value and a purpose. That's a tough sell for a lot of the neo-pagan community in North America. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is, but that's because the, there's a, a, a large, soft underbelly um, of people who... Uh, who aren't actually engaged in magic, they're engaged in a form of escapism based on their fantasy reading and uh, watching Lord of the Rings too many times. <laughs> it may be all very nice. all make one ring to rule them all? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, there goes my hopes and dreams. <laughs> but equally, I, you know, I, I want to make very clear that we we have we have a lot of friends across traditions, and there's a lot of good people in paganism and in witchcraft who Absolutely, have a yeah, great deal of respect for. Um, and it's as easy to caricature magicians as it is to caricature, you know, the great mass of pagans. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, there's no there's doubt no. that I won't name names or orders or stuff like that. But there's no doubt that a lot of people who claim to be magicians are not doing magic either. Yeah. Um, mm they're equally as um, lost in fantasy as any Arthurian or fairy or um, mm. story that you have that there's no metric they're not they have no metrics for measurement of any kind of results or any kind of spiritual transformation which shocks their whole world into pieces uh, it's just not there yeah well, I'll just throw this out here. If anything said tonight terribly offended anyone, I invite you to send me hate mail, and then after you calm down, think about sit it. down and think about it. <laughs> You're inviting people to send you hate mail. You're going to get like 20,000 <laughs> messages now. Oh, I'm saying, I'm just saying, vent. Vent on me. I give the open invitation. Then after you vent, think. Because oh if you're so angry, it probably said something that made sense. All right. We have about a minute left. Um, and uh, you mentioned the one book. You have the crossed, uh, the Crossroads books coming out. Do yeah. you guys have any other, Scarlet, coming out with any other books that I will probably have to save my money to buy? Well, one thing we do um, as a publisher is, is, is not talk about Okay, um, fair enough. First rule of occult publishing is. <laughs> That's probably true. We, for, for magical reasons, in the same way that um, that I, I wouldn't tell people what ritual work I was doing or where I was in the world on my Facebook account every five minutes, um, we don't tell people what we're doing in advance with our publishing um, because we're, when you work, it's magical. <laughs> And, and when you're working magic, then uh, then keeping quiet is often a good thing. That that's that's fair enough. So you got the one coming out. Is the uh, publisher sponsoring any events with uh, any multiple authors or anything coming up? Yeah, we've got um, we're we're doing an event in uh, in Brighton in the UK on um, 
21st of July. Um, which is uh, which is the Pleasure Dome, which will be a, a, a visionary uh, day with a variety of speakers, performers, artists, dancers. Um, we'll be filming most of the talks, so people in America that can't make it over should be able to see it at some point on YouTube. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but again... Again, well, hey, really we are running out of time, so if we could just ask you to stay on the line, Andrea will wrap us up. Yeah, thank you guys for coming on the show. It's totally cool. I told you to go fast, and here we are at 9 o'clock. Um, just hold on for a minute while I take us on out. I'm going to thank the Luminous for the music that he made for our show. Again, so thank you. Thank you.